Good morning, sir. Good morning. My apologies for being late. You're nice welcome. You. No worries. <laughs> nice to see you. Thank you for joining. Hey, Judy. Awesome. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, Francis, Judy, we'll see you all here in a little bit. Um, Steve, we're going to hang out with you here for uh, a decent part of the next hour or so. And uh, and to echo what Francis and Judy said, we really appreciate you coming on here today to kick off Race Industry Week. And you were a guest last year, and uh, it was greatly appreciated, a lot of great stuff. And, uh, man, where we are today, a year from last year, and all of the different things that are going on, we know you're a busy, busy man, so we appreciate you. My pleasure to be here with you, Brad. All right, well, let's, uh, you know what, this week in just a couple of evenings on Thursday night in downtown Nashville, Tennessee, NASCAR is going to crown the champions in all three series. Ryan Blaney, the first-time Cup Series champion, Cole Custer in the Xfinity Series, Ben Rhodes in the Truck Series. So with that, let's just talk about what 2023 was as a season for NASCAR and maybe some of your highlights. Well, I think it's, um, if you think about, Anytime you have a kind of a special moment, an anniversary, you know, for us being the 75th anniversary was um, just special heading in. And you think about what we did to celebrate um, the past and then really uh, when in the first third of the season um, and then kind of that middle part, which was more of a thank you to fans for the, looking at the present and then looking at the next 75 years um, and I think that was pretty extraordinary just as a backdrop and then all the special things that happened. So starting with the clash of the Coliseum again, and then Ricky Stenhouse Jr. winning the Daytona 500 with a, a single car uh, race team, um, going back to North Wolfsboro for all-star, um, the, I would call it an epic <laughs> event at the Chicago street race, our first street race in our 75 year history. Um, th that was pretty extraordinary. Um, the epic in many ways, including the epic rain that we had on Sunday. Um, but I thought it was a great learning experience for us. And um, you know, we'll be going back to Chicago. And then I think, you know, I, I found it interesting, you know, listening to Sirius, Sirius XM and some other kind of folks talking about how the first part of the playoffs were kind of going to form. It was, you know, no one really said it was boring, but that's what they were intimating. Um, I didn't think that at all. Um, but then again, I am a bit of a homer. Um, and then, uh, but I thought the playoffs were spectacular. And, um, you know, that last race in Phoenix and, you know, watching Ryan get frustrated with, uh, you know, with Ross, who's racing him hard, racing him clean. Um, getting in the back of him and then Martin closing. It just, uh, I thought it was just a spectacular, uh, spectacular finish to a, our 75th anniversary season. So really excited about what we saw. I thought the racing itself, I, I don't know how every year the racing gets better, um, but I thought the racing this year was spectacular. And, you know, I think Phoenix itself, I think, was a good test for us and the changes that were made from a tire perspective and um, really having us have a good short what, short track race. I know that some people don't call a mile track a short track, but uh, um, but I thought it was, I was very encouraged by the racing. And I think we'll see more and better racing with some of the things we'll do with the testing that's coming up. And um, 
and, and have our racing be even better than it was this year, which had record record numbers of passes, et cetera. Yeah, and we definitely look forward to talking about all of that and more. You know, it's incredible. Um, and, and I love the storylines that racing just brings. And you mentioned a couple of them. Martin Truex Jr., the clash at the Coliseum, 2022 goes winless and misses the playoffs in spite of actually being uh, in the top four in the standings at the end of the regular season. Comes back this year, wins the clash to open things up, gets three wins along the way, and the regular season championship. And then the other big-name driver that a lot of people expected to win a points race in 2022, Ryan Blaney, while he did win the All-Star race, he did make the playoffs in 2022, but then comes back in 2023, three race wins and a championship. Steve, when you look at things like that, what does that say about our sport that in one year, the best of the best in our sport, elite level drivers can miss the postseason. The next year, come back and win a regular season championship. The next year, uh, also, you take a guy like Ryan Blaney, who continues his drive up through the rankings to come back and win the season long championship. What does that say about just the competition overall? I think the competition is extraordinary. I mean, we had 19 winners, 20 if you include Blaney at All-Star last year. Um, and then 15 different winners this year. I think it's I think it's extraordinary. Um, and the number of teams that are winning as well, you know, 10 to 12 teams winning in a year. That's really it speaks to, I think, the parity and it and really how hard it is to win at NASCAR. Um, it's just hard. Um, and the, the difference between winning and not winning is just so narrow. Um, you know, I would have lost a bet if someone had said Chase Elliott wouldn't win a race. I, I, I that wasn't on my radar at all. Um, or uh, honestly, Martin Truex coming back and winning the regular season title wasn't on my radar. Um, and, you know, Ryan Blaney winning the championship possible, but he, he wouldn't have been in my, you know, you know, my first one or two picks. Um, and I think there are some that would have been right. Like a Kyle Larson who contended and ran Ryan really hard and, um, or William Byron winning six races this year, probably wouldn't have guessed that either. So, um, it's why I don't bet, um, because I'm, I'm not good at it. Um, and I think it's just the unpredictability of where our sport is from a, from a racing standpoint. Uh, and that's fantastic. I'm excited about what 24 is going to bring. I think we're just going to see better and better racing. And I think the two areas that I think were a little bit of a concern last year and this year were the road courses uh, and the uh, and the short tracks. Um, I think the short tracks are going to be better. Um, and if the short tracks are better, I think we'll also see better racing um, on the you know, on the road courses and our guys are always trying to solve for better racing. It's, it's the promise we have to our race fans. And I think, you know, we'll keep, we'll keep making significant gains there. And, and then I think, you know, who would have thought with this new car in, you know, 20, uh, 22 and 23, that some of the best racing is the intermediate rate, intermediate, uh, tracks. So, you know, it's just, um, we keep trying to put out the best product we can and the teams keep building great race cars and the, the talent level of our drivers is, it's just pegged. It's off the charts. Um, and I'm certainly proud to be a race fan. 
You know, uh, Steve, you talk about the race car, and uh, we definitely saw improvements with the short track package, especially in the season finale, and really not just a great race with the Cup Series, but a great race weekend with all three of the divisions. Uh, when it comes to making the hard decisions in the sport, um, everything, typically, you make one decision here, and it impacts different things on down the way. The race car itself, the next-gen car debuted in 2022, and like you mentioned, 19 different winners, just an incredible season all the way around. We come back this year and continue to see great racing, but there was this one thing that people wanted more of, and they wanted you know more action, more competition on short tracks and road courses, but to make those decisions as to what to do to the race car affects a lot of things, including your suppliers, including the race teams, including a lot of people. You mentioned a test coming up next week at Phoenix. There have been several things tested as well, not just on the race car, but also with Goodyear. But can you take us behind the curtain just a little bit? And everyone has their own opinion. You know, you hear a driver say, we want more horsepower. You hear someone else say, we want less tire. You hear someone else say, well, it's an aero problem. But trying to find what's going to work for everybody, and most importantly, what's going to work in the eyeball test for the race fans. What goes into that? Yeah, well, I think that first and foremost, Brad, is, is the great racing itself, right? So it's not great racing at any cost because there are costs associated with this. And you can't, on the one hand, say, hey, we want great racing. Um, and, you know, our, there are limited budgets, right? You know, we are we're trying to solve for our race teams to make them more financially viable um, with increased revenue and some type of cost containment that would go, um, you know, that we would implement as part of a new charter extension in, in 25. Um, so they're kind of a little bit at odds with each other. So what opportunities do you have? And we're look, we've looked at some things from an aero perspective under the car, what happens with the diffuser? Can you take the diffuser off? So all those things are in play. And then, and the tire, I think people underestimate the importance of the tire, which sounds ridiculous because that's the, you know, obviously the contact patch. Um, but I think Goodyear has done a much, much better job in trying to dial in what's going on with this race car. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think the answer is more horsepower because more horsepower is, is expensive. Um, if you ask a driver what's going to solve for it, they're always going to say, give me more horsepower. It's just, it's a thing. Um, I'm not a driver, but I've listened to enough drivers and that's their solution. And so the question is, is that really what it is? I don't know. I think there's some gearing things that we're looking at as well. Um, some shifting things. Um, so I think there's, a, it's a combination of things. There's not a silver bullet out there that's going to, I don't even want to call it fix. Um, I think on the road courses, Brad, I, I think we made a mistake on you know not having um cautions at the end of stage at the end of the stage breaks i think you know we saw um at sonoma and um indy it just it just was i just don't think it was as compelling um when you bunch the cars back up got the best racers in the world you know bang beating and banging on each other okay that's a thing um and it works um and I think there are some changes that we made. Obviously, Coda was a mess. Um, you know, just the, the restarts and in turn one and you know, guys going seven wide. I mean, okay, that doesn't work. So we made some changes. Um and did everyone love those changes? Maybe not. Um, but we also need to make sure we don't have a, 
demolition derby. It's it's a you know it's the highest form of motorsports, and it needs to be you know at a level that it should be at, and not you know guys just kind of rooting and gouging and careening off each other into that turn one. It just didn't work. Um, and so we, again, I think it's a combination of different things that will continue to make gains on. You know, for what it's worth, by the way, Steve, this time last year, I thought it was the best idea to eliminate cautions at the end of stages on road courses. And as the season went on, I thought it was the next best idea to bring back the cautions at the end of stages. It's It just goes to show you that, hey, you can plan for one thing and it looks really good on paper and it really seems good in theory as well. But then the reality brings you something completely different because the one thing we don't know at any time, how are the teams going to strategize it and what's it going to mean to the problem? Product on the racetrack. Yeah, and I think one thing that I would say we as an industry is the NASCAR, you know, our race teams, our racetracks, you know, the sanctioning body, you know, we can move swiftly. And I've said personally said this a lot. We're going to test things, try things. If they don't work, we won't do them again. Right. So lots of naysayers on the Chicago Street race. I thought it was one of the best races of the year. It was spectacular. And I think it proved a lot of people wrong that you can have great racing on a, on a street race if it's the right street race, right? The, that course had lots of passing zones. It was very wide um, in a, a lot of places, narrowed certainly in some other places, but it was an extraordinary street race. Um, but it was the course itself that led to that. Certainly some drama around, you know, having a damp, um, a drip racetrack um, and that had some interesting things and watching Shane do what he did, I, I thought was, um, it was, it was a cut above and our guys are like, Hey, it was embarrassing that we got beat by SVG. Shouldn't be embarrassed at all. Right? He races a very similar car. Those guys have never run a street race. He's run a bunch, right? He had a competitive advantage um, against these cars and, he was coming out of corners and getting against the wall where it would be inches from the wall. Our guys thought they were close and they'd watch him. They're like, wow, no, they're close. He's close. Um, and he just, he ran a great race. Um, and we're excited to have him see how he does at, at races that are not street races, um, how he does in ovals. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how it goes. And I, I, you know, I, you know, Justin Marks and that track house team, you know, they push the envelope and I think it's great. Um, they're willing to do things that some teams just aren't willing to do. And, um, you know, Justin's got a good mind for that. And I think it's, it's paying dividends for them. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I, I want to talk about adaptability. And before you came on, we were talking about uh, during COVID, NASCAR was the first professional sport to come back and what it really did for racing. And I can remember, got more than 20 years ago, um, the late Lanny Edwards, who used to run Devil's Bowl Speedway and co-founder of the Chili Bowl and all of those other things, was telling me that, um, you know, a, a guy will pawn his TV to buy a pit pass if his car is running. So as a promoter, I want to make sure that people can come out and race because they will find a way. And what I mean by that, the theme of this, it always does seem like racers will find a way. You mentioned a couple of big events, the Coliseum uh, with the clash at the Los Angeles Coliseum. That was another one. How are they going to put a racetrack in there? This isn't going to work. How are these cars even going to fit on something so small? The Chicago street course, not only did 
the sport pull it off, but the sport pulled it off, as you mentioned, in literally century torrential downpours, you know, more rain than they would typically have in two months, all dumped on the racetrack in one single weekend, yet you pulled off a complete re race weekend, which did that. What does that say about just racers in general, but also NASCAR's adaptability to potentially surprise us even more? Yeah, I think, Brad, I, I think our ability as an industry to solve for difficult things, you had mentioned COVID, that was an industry-wide thing. It wasn't a sanctioned and body thing. It was everybody, right? It was the sanctioning body, the race teams, the racetracks, the drivers, everyone, Goodyear, everyone pulling together to create something that others didn't think we could do. Um, and we did it. And and everyone had to play their role, right? We had to play a role talking to governors and safety officials and the racetracks had to do that and solve for, you know, I had one situation in New Hampshire where I called the governor of Vermont to call the governor of New Hampshire to see if we could get them to move, right? Because it, it was, and the governor of Vermont, you know, he races stock cars. So thought that was a good place to start. Um, he'll do anything to get in a race car, apparently. It, it's just, um, but it was an industry-wide thing, right? And a lot of the things that when we talk to our race teams, when you talk, when we talk to you know our own employees, it's having them think differently about the business. Doesn't mean that we're going to make change for change sakes. That doesn't make any sense. But having a calculated risk, um, like the Chicago street race, I thought it was a, a risk that we should take. And you know, we lost a ton of money on that race. It's the best money we'd spent. Um, because what I do know is as we're talking about, and I'm sure there's a question there about where we stand with our media rights deal that is upcoming, Brad. Um, Fox and NBC certainly, um, and the, obviously the NBC race or the Chicago street race is, was in the NBC part of the season. It was the second highest race we had had all year. Um, people were interested in tuning in to see what was going to happen, Cas particularly with casual fans. Listen, our ardent hardcore fans, they are, you know, they're gonna tune in for anything, right? That's who they are, it's awesome. We have the best fans in the world, but it's that casual fan that's gonna drive those incremental numbers. It's just, it's just a fact. And so I'm not suggesting we're gonna have five street races, we're not. Um, we may not have two street races in a year, but do I foresee in the future that we have one street race, maybe two? Yes, but it, you know, when you create something special and then you, you know, replicate it again and again and again, it's gonna stop being special. At some point, most likely we're gonna stop racing in Chicago and we'll go somewhere else. It needs to stay fresh. And, you know, and you need to mix in things that are kind of, you know, staples of the sport, the Daytona 500, the Coke 600, you know, the Southern 500, those things with other unique special things like going to North Wilkesboro. You know, are we gonna go to North Wilkesboro for All-Star forever? Maybe not, um, but I know we're going back, back next year at a great event, um, you know, this this year. So it's it's really just being smart about how we do that. What I would say about the Chicago street race in addition to driving significant interest and then significant viewership, 
those media partners that we're in discussions with that are not our existing partners were captivated by the Chicago street race and have pointed to that as, wow, that sounds like a really cool thing. You know, can we have something like that if we come on to NASCAR? And so nothing to announce today, but it, it's, it made a difference. And so if you're thinking about existing partners like Fox and our willingness to go to, you know, build a track in the LA Coliseum or race Bristol on dirt, you know, go back to uh, North Wilkesboro for All-Star, all those things create interest from our broadcast partners. And listen, we got a lot of great sponsors in this sport and that, that spend a lot of money with the race teams, the racetracks, the sanctioning body. The biggest checks are coming from our media partners. And we are fortunate that we are able to get very large checks because it feeds a lot of mouths in this industry, not one mouth, everyone. Um, and so when you do things like that, that show that the sport is not willing to just kind of stay in its lane, but really to broaden where we go, how we go about things, what we're doing with the next gen car, all these things have a meaningful impact on the success of the sport. And that again is the promise that we have to our race fans, which is we're going to keep pushing um, to make this sport better and better and better. You know, it's interesting in talking about this too. Um, obviously, the core of the sport, the Daytonas, the Charlottes, the Atlantas, the Richmonds, um, you know, all of the tracks that we've historically come to know and love, those are still on the schedule in a big, big way. We tend to talk more about the new things like we have talked about here today from the Chicago Street Course to the Coliseum to uh, what is old is new again to North Wilkesboro. What does that say, Steve, about how dynamic the schedule could be in the future and ever changing? In fact, even a question in the chat, would Boston ever be a consideration for a street race? <laughs> I think everything's on the table, Brad. I know that's a bit vanilla and <laughs> I'm not trying to evade the question. Um, I think the one thing I will say is that schedule variation is going to continue. Are we going to continue to race in Atlanta and Richmond and Charlotte and, uh, you know, other places that are fixtures on our schedule? We are. Um, I, I think the question is, is as we're thinking about alternate locations, um, you know, we're, we, our schedule is not going to expand. So we're at a, the 36 points paying races and the two exhibitions. We have 38 races on our calendar. For the foreseeable future, we are going to have 38 races on the calendar. Our season's long enough. Um, and so I don't see that expanding. Um, with that said, I do think there's some places where we race twice that, you know, honestly, if we raced once, um, and I won't get any specifics, but if it, if one of our racetracks is not selling out with two races, what we have shown is when you go to one race, like a Michigan, like a Pocono, a Dover, all three of those races are sellouts. And that's what we need to do, in my opinion. So it's not that we want to take races away from markets, but if we're not having sellouts, unless the racing is extraordinary, um, and, and I'll talk specifically about like Daytona, right? Season anything that wasn't a sellout. Um, it's, it's difficult to sell 150 
150,000 people coming to an event twice a year. You can do it for the Daytona 500 because it's special. Um, doing it for their season any event. Listen, do I think the grandstands looked good? They did. It wasn't a sellout. And so what we are endeavoring to do is by the time we get to, you know, 25, 26, 27, we had 12 or 13 sellouts this year. Okay, that's not enough. Um, it was five more than we had last year. And I'm hoping and we'll be really working hard to make sure that we have more sellouts. Like I will be a sellout. Um, it, it's, it will be, and it will be a sellout, you know, relatively quickly, um, because there's demand there. So we have to make sure we're going to places where we have demand. Do I think if we did a street race in Boston, that would be a sellout? I do. Um, not sure where we race in Boston. Um, but there are, listen, we, after Chicago, the phone was ringing for other cities. They're like, well, we can do that. Um, and we'd love to have NASCAR come here. Um, so again, nothing to announce at this particular point and, you know, street races are hard. Look at the, look at the F1 race in Vegas, um, visually stunning, um, had some problems. Um, and it's a, logistically, they're very difficult. Um, but I think street races are something that will be on our calendar for the foreseeable future. Yeah, it was definitely exciting. By the way, you have an advocate for a New Jersey street race as well. So uh, just as we're talking, uh, more ideas are coming in. Uh, I, I do want to ask this one from the chat too, Steve, especially considering we've even had some more news recently. Um, NHRA has done an exceptional job of attracting women drivers. Do you have any theories as to uh, why they've been uh, successful? And uh, I sorry, I had something blocked. Why they've been successful and other series, including NASCAR, um, have struggled, have not come up as fast. I'll point out that we've got a, a wonderful up-and-coming 17-year-old in Jade Avedisian who was just announced by Toyota as one of their development drivers, and we have others along the way. But I think a lot of people also look at it, Steve, and say, hey, we have a long way to go if um, you know to, to bring more women drivers into the sport. Where do you see that? Yeah, I would say women and people of color. It's just uh, if you look at the pipeline, um, historically, the the pipeline was filled primarily with white men. Um, and so, you know, it, it's a, a narrow, it's like a funnel, right? So who's going to the top of the funnel? And then how does that go to the bottom of the funnel? If you consider the bottom of the funnel to be, you know, the NASCAR Cup Series, then it's predominantly white men. And so is the funnel changing? It is. The funnel is, there are more women and more people of color that are in the funnel in the development portion of NASCAR than we've ever had. Um, I'm encouraged by that. Um, with that said, we have a long way to go. Um, it's I'll, an analogy is probably not a great one. It's it's you know there are certain industries um, or functional areas that just take NASCAR where you look at engineers, right? There are a lot of white male engineers. Are there getting more people of color and women that are becoming engineers? There are. Um, and I think that same thing is happening within, I'll call motorsports broadly. The NHR is, um, you know, they, for whatever reason, um, have had more women that are participating um, in that, you know, kind of 
early on in the adoption phase that have been able to graduate to what would be the bottom of the funnel. Um, and I think that that's a, you know, whether in, in, in different classes as well within there, right? So it's um, whether it's funny car or it's whatever it is, motors, it's, it, they're different pieces where they've had success. And, but if we can't get more women into the funnel or people of account in that developmental series phase that are able to graduate with additional seat time and showing success, that is, that's important. So our, our drive for diversity program is designed to do exactly that. Um, and have we seen some success? We have, right? You look at the graduates of our drive for diversity program, you've got Kyle Larson, Bubba Wallace, Daniel Suarez, and there are more coming. Um, and we need to have, you know, to find talented female drivers to, to get into that funnel and then just keep driving forward. Do we have some very talented women right now that are in the development series and working their way up into our national series? We do. Um, so I'm encouraged by that. But it's not something where you're like, hey, you know, find this 17-year-old girl and say, yeah, I think uh, we should put her in uh, Xfinity and then in two years she can go to Cup. That's not, that is not feasible. You, you've got to have the seat time. I'm encouraged by things such as, you know, iRacing that allow, honestly, all, ta all talent to understand whether they have talent or not early on, right? That doesn't cost, you know, a small fortune in order to do that. Um, and we're seeing drivers come out of that series, uh, out of the iRacing series that are making their way into trucks, Xfinity into Cup. Um, obviously, the poster child for that is William Byron. Um, but there are others, right, that are in all the series. It is a good, a good tool to kind of weed out those that are talented with those that, frankly, just don't have the talent to do it. Mm -hmm. That's a great point. And I will say, too, um, we, we focus on the driving side of it, but um, you walk up and down pit road right now and you will see exactly how diverse NASCAR is, whether it be people of color and or women who are working within the industry. It's amazing to see the cross section of people that you see up and down pit road. And a lot of times those things start to grow outward as well. You know, maybe someone is influenced by someone they know who goes over the wall or, you know, someone who sits on top of the pit box as an engineer or whatever. And the next thing you know, they're getting behind the wheel somewhere. So there is a lot of diversity in NASCAR. I realize the focus is what's sitting behind the wheel, um, but it's amazing to see how much it's grown uh, up to this point so far, Steve. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, Brad. And I do think, you know, I listen, I applaud the NBA and the NFL for having female officials. We've had female officials for, for a long time and not a lot of um, fanfare around that. Maybe there should be. Um, but to your point, you go up and down pit road, whether they're officials or, you know, the pit crews themselves, they are, it is very encouraging to see the talent rise to the top um, and, you know, and see this kind of diversity movement. Uh, what I can assure you is that there are, there are no gifts out there. You know, these people are earning it. You know, race teams don't have 
uh, crew members that are, you know, hey, let's have this person of color here because we're true to that mission. It's like, no, let's make sure we have the best athletes, the best guys going over the wall because we want to win the race. That's why they're there. Um, so it's it's a talent thing. Um, it's not something that is, um, you know, hey, we, we need to get more diverse. Yeah, we need to get more diverse. Um, but you need to make sure that we have people that are talented enough to do that. And I think we've got absolutely, you look at, you know, diverse drivers and, and female drivers that are in the pipeline that are super talented. Um, it's just going to take, take some time to make sure that they get the seat time or, you know, the, the crew time in order to, in order to be at the top level and come to the cup series. Uh, for sure. All right, Steve, let's shift gears a little bit. You mentioned media rights. And one thing we do know for 2025 and beyond, the Xfinity series in its entirety is going to be on the CW network. This is an over-the-air broadcast network that pretty much doesn't matter where you are. That comes into your home. That piece has already been talked about. Uh, what we don't know is what's going to go on with the Cup Series and the Truck Series. Uh, there have been a lot more reports, and you have even talked as well, about a streaming partner and whatever percentage that might be a streaming partner with the broadcast. We even had a question about this, about how do you turn NASCAR fans over to that side of it. I know nothing's been announced, but what can you tell us about maybe where we are and some of the challenges that you guys face as a sport or some of the directions where you want to go as a sport when it comes to the broadcast partners? Yeah, as I said, we have nothing to announce today. I, I think we will have something to announce shortly. What I, what I do know, um, we are going to, like every other major sport, we are going to have some form of streaming in our sport. What that looks like, I, I can't really say right now, um, but our sport is going to be a mixture of broadcast television, cable, and streaming. Um, what percentages of those are, Brad? Again, nothing to to announce today. Do I see something with more from a from a in race or live race action being primarily streaming? I don't. Um, I think it'll be a mixture, and I think that mixture is consistent with where sports are today. Um, the other thing I would say is right now we have two broadcast partners. We know that we are going to, I, you know, do I believe NBC and Fox will be back? I do. Um, we obviously have added a third partner with the CW with the Xfinity series. So to have 33 broadcast races on Xfinity, I think that series is really going to step up and shine. Um, because of the visibility that the CW is going to bring. Just more eyeballs, 125 million homes, just like Fox, NBC, um, CBS, and ABC. It's their five network partners. The CW is one of them. Certainly less known, maybe slightly less watched, um, but it's going to be an anchor property for the CW. So it's going to be great for the CW. It's going to be great for NASCAR. Additionally, I think the CW is going to be a good partner in promoting both the truck series as well as the cup series. Um, and lastly, the company that owns the CW, Nexstar, has 201 affiliates around the country. They're going to plug those in as well, all promoting NASCAR. So the CW, in addition, financially helping the sport out, is going to be a great partner. 
I would say that Fox and NBC have been great partners um, in helping to promote the sport, you know, over this past 10 year period um, or nine year period with one more year to go. And we are going to have an additional partner um, and we may have two additional partners. Um, and that's kind of where we're trying to figure out, you know, kind of in, in these last uh, few weeks, what that's going to look like. Um, but we already know we're going to have more partners, whether we have four total media rights partners or five, I don't know. Um, that part is still in the balance. Um, but we're hoping in the coming weeks to get that firmed up. And I do believe, and I think other major sports are going to do the same thing. I mean, you look at the NFL, the NFL has got a ton of partners. Um, the NBA right now has two. Um, if I were a betting man, which I'm not, uh, they're going to have more. They are going to. Um, and are they going to have some form of streaming? They're going to. And whether it's a kind of a companion streaming. Um, so you look at NBC. I'm not suggesting NBC is going to the NBA, but they've got they have two opportunities to um, actually three. They've got NBC, they've got USA, then they've got Peacock. So when you're looking at these sports properties, I'm sorry, these media companies, ones that are traditional media companies that have two or three different opportunities. So Fox right now really just has um, Big Fox and FS1. They don't have a Peacock version of, of Fox at this particular point. Maybe they will in the future, maybe they won't. Um, but Fox seems to be betting on cable being around for, for a long time. Um, so I think what I would call hedging our bet, I think is a smart thing for us to do as a sport. No one has any idea what's gonna happen with streaming and what's gonna happen with cable. We do know that, we do know that broadcast television is going to be around for the foreseeable future at 125 million homes. That is not going to change. The cable universe, what we do know is the cable universe has declined. And so what does that look like in two years, five years, seven years? Don't know, but we better make sure that we have distribution points that will allow us to be successful moving forward, to have as many eyeballs as we can while not insignificant, also getting paid. The, the revenue is significant that comes in from these media rights or from these media partners. Yeah, we look forward to hearing those announcements as they come up as well. Steve, there are a lot of analogies that people can use for the things that come across someone's desk, and yours has a lot of them, but I'm going to use one that uh, I've heard you use before, and uh, and that's a stool. And uh, we've already talked about several of the legs of this stool, from broadcast to uh, racetracks to schedules and a lot of different things. The competition side, the race teams, and when we talk about media rights, the next thing people talk about are the charter agreements with the cup teams and all of that. Um, as a sanctioning body, Body and dealing with your competitors and everything that you have to do to make sure everyone is healthy in the sport. What can you tell us about where we are now with that? So I would say we've had some good dialogue with our race teams. Um, we had a um, we have quarterly team owner council meetings. I think our last team owner council meeting we made, I think we made some progress with our race teams, having them understand where we are. Um, in terms of how we see the future looking for our charters. So we are 
all in on the charter systems. We think that the charters have been valuable to the sport overall. Um, race teams want three things, um, or so they have told us. They want to have to be, they want to be competitive on the racetrack, which right now that's a check. They want to increase their enter, enterprise value of the charters. That has been a check. And they want to have a path to profitability. That's not a check right now. It's not. You know, our, our race teams, by and large, are losing money uh, at the cup level. Um, and that is something that we need to solve for. You solve that if, with two key pillars. Um, one is to make sure that they're getting additional revenue. So they're interested in getting more revenue from the sanctioning body uh, and the tracks um, through the purse. That is something that we need to do. Um, the only way you can do that is to have increases in your media rights, which is what we're doing today. So we are unsure what that is. Uh, when there is more clarity, we'll understand what those financials will look like. And then second, and not, not small, honestly, is some type of cost containment. So whether that's in the form of a cap or whether that's in the form of you know, the parts and pieces that make up the next gen car or trying to limit those pieces. I don't know where we're gonna net out on that, but, it, and I'm not suggesting that we're, our race teams can cut their way to success. I'm not suggesting that um, because I've been accused of that in the past. There needs to be a mixture of those two things, but both are important. If profitability or break even is an important element for our race teams, then you have to do both. Um, and that's what we'll focus on. And then there, you know, there'll be some governance issues that the, which we'll do that will, I think, make the sport healthier um, and how the sport is run healthier. And then the other part, Brad, really is around the promotion of the sport. Um, so we need to do our part as the sanctioning body, the tracks that we don't own. And the tracks that we do own need to do their part in promoting NASCAR and the races themselves to get more and more sellouts. Um, the race teams need to do their part on helping to promote the sport in addition to what they do today, which is, I would say that if you look at how race teams are, the makeup of the race teams, it's primarily to make sure they're building fast race cars and then making sure they're putting, you know, have the right crews at the racetracks in order to win. And that's what their goal is, as it should be. Um, and so the significant makeup percentage wise are on the competition side. They're not on what I would call marketing promotion side to the business. And I'm not suggesting we're asking them to do that, but what can we do collectively with our race teams that drive the growth of the sport? And importantly, what can we do with our drivers that do the same thing? Because the drivers are the show. And so we're building this brand new production facility that will come online in Q1, you know, January of this of 2024, that will be kind of the, the cornerstone of what I think success will look, will look like for us, including two components of it, live event production, that will come out of that building. And then just content in general through NASCAR studios. Um, and I'm super excited about that. One of the projects we're working on right now that's been announced is this 
Netflix show that we're doing with a company called Words and Pictures. Um, so I've heard, I don't know, 10,000 times, maybe more actually, I know it sounds like a really high number. Hey, you know what NASCAR should do? You should do a Netflix show, right? Like Formula One, like, oh, that's a good idea. <laughs> so we are gonna do that, which will um, come out sometime around February 1st, which would be great right at the start of the season. Um, I haven't seen the episodes, but those that have, um, the first three episodes that have already been done are, I'm told they're spectacular. Um, and will be a love letter to, to NASCAR. And we're excited about what that looks like. Um, and so I'm super bullish on, on the future, Brad. Yeah, we're looking forward to it too as well. Steve, we really want to thank you for joining us here this morning. We really appreciate you kicking off Race Industry Week with us. Looking forward to seeing you and everyone else in Nashville as NASCAR gets to celebrate a season and crown champions this Thursday night. Thanks, Brad. Great to be with you. Thanks, thank you, Steve. Thank you very much for taking the time to join us today. Thank you. Registering on ePartrade is easy. To start, click on the Join for Free button on the homepage. First, search your company to see if it's already in our database. If you see your company on the list, click on it to select it. Then, choose Claim Company if you are one of the decision makers, an owner, marketing person, or main company contact. Or choose Join Company if you are an employee, and press Continue. If you couldn't find your company in our database, select Register a New Company. On the following page, fill out your name, email, phone number, job title, and choose a secure password. If you chose register a new company, you'll need to choose your business type. Select supplier if you're looking to display products or services and connect with buyers. Choose racing business if you're looking to source new parts and connect with suppliers. Choose race team if you own or are a member of a professional race team. Then enter your company name. Please provide a website, Facebook page, or LinkedIn if you have one, and choose to either claim or join the company. You can view and agree to our terms of use here. If you'd like to receive our weekly newsletter, choose Accept. Finally, click Register Now and your registration will be submitted for approval. An email will be sent to your inbox. Please confirm your email address and you will be approved shortly. Welcome to ePartrade.